You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues, or we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast, and I have Stephen Session. He's the head of uh, Zero Shoes. The website is xeroshoes.com. So, Stephen, thanks for coming. My pleasure. Yeah. So, what, what's the uh, why shoes and why Zero Shoes? What, what led you <laughs> in the direction to make shoes? Oh gosh, uh, the personal thing or the political thing? Um, personally, it was an accident. Mm. I, I had just been like most human beings wearing regular shoes. I was, I got back at a sprinting actually about 12 years ago after a 30 year break and asked the other runners in the group that I was with, you know, what shoes do I get? And they pointed me to a classic running shoe, bunch of padding, arch support, motion control, pointed toe box. Mm. And uh, um, I was just getting injured all the time. And one day, a friend of mine who's a world champion cross country runner said, why don't you try taking off those crazy ass shoes and see what you learn? And what I learned from getting out of them was why I was getting injured because it was a form related problem that I just couldn't feel in those shoes. And more importantly, I learned how to get rid of those injuries by adapting my form because doing it wrong doing it hurt and doing it right was felt good actually. And mm. uh, to make a very long story very short, that led me somehow into having a footwear company that's, uh, there's a certain irony that this is a uh, word future is in the title of this podcast because we've just gone back in time. If you think about right. the, the first nine or the first 10,000 years that we know human beings have been making footwear, the first 9,950 of them. So 99.95% of the time, shoes were just something to protect your foot and something to hold that protection onto your foot. And that's basically what we're doing. Um, the modern athletic shoe is a is the intervention and there's just no evidence that it's helpful in any way. And there's actually a lot of evidence that it might in fact be harmful. Yeah. I want to talk about that and get into it a lot. You know, I've podcasted with thousands of people literally, and um, there's two camps I get to see people fall into. One is the, you know, we'll, we'll science the shit out of this type thing. You know, <laughs> right. Movie. And, and with technology, we can overcome everything, you know, and all that. And then there's another camp, which I'm, moving more and more towards that, uh, you know, what's natural and what's, you know, coming from nature is far more intelligent than we could ever be. And so the more we can allow nature to do its job with our help, the better. Well, you know, I'm going to say that um, I'm leaning in the, in the latter direction as well, but I'm going to say we've also had to science the shit out of this. Now, the, the irony here is that 
Um, no one ever says to the big shoe companies, hey, where's your proof for anything that you say? By the way, they have none. Uh, but they ask us. It's like, well, where's the proof that you know using your feet naturally is better for you? It's like, you're, you're kidding me, right? But we've literally, not we, but but the, the community of people who believes in natural movement has literally had to do research to prove something as simple as if you can use your foot, it can get stronger. And if you immobilize it, mm. it gets weaker. <laughs> what a shock. And, you know, and there's That's just ridiculous. tons of that. Um, and, and there's actually research on the, on modern shoes, especially the ones with a lot of padding that the way those things are sold is, Hey, you have all this incredible padding to, to uh, protect you from the shock of running. And the research couldn't be more clear that the, that, that padding does not protect you at all. And in fact, more padding often leads to more shock going through directly into your joints because uh, well for a number of reasons one of them is goes back to the natural thing you have more nerve endings in the soles of your feet than anywhere but your fingertips and your lips so you're clearly supposed to feel things you're supposed to use them and when your brain can't feel anything from your feet it tries to land harder just to get some information about what the hell's going on yeah i think what's happening is if you provide padding for instance in a shoe um you're not getting that feedback between correct you know your your senome, your your senses, and the surface you're walking or running or whatever on, and your body adapts. It's constantly adapting. Yep. You know, instead of ran, you know, I know we're getting into genetics, but you know, randomization <laughs> is uh, to me is complete BS. Uh, your body's always adapting constantly. You know, like you walk outside, it's bright out. Your pupils shrink. Right. You're in a dark room, you're pu- you know, so same thing with, with anything, walking, well, hearing, and, smelling. Well, and with your with your feet, it's actually really interesting because there's a bunch of, of nervous impulses that don't even make it up to your brain. There's a, It's a reflex arc that goes from your feet, actually from your legs in general, uh, just to the base of your spine and right back down because we're supposed to respond to the ground quickly. And if you're making it so you can't feel things, then you can't respond well, and that can lead to balance problems. And what that can lead to uh, is what happened to my dad a few years ago where he just shuffled as he walked um, from wearing big shoes all his life. And he tripped over a little ledge in a hallway in a kind of a shopping mall, tripped, fell down, broke his hip and was dead two weeks later. And, right. you know, and this is a very common phenomenon. Like every, every year, year and a half, there's some research that comes out where someone does some variation of taking some vibrator and putting it on people's feet and ankles especially elderly people or people with Parkinson's or other sort of uh, sensory neurosensory problems. And they go, Hey, look, it made their problems get worse or sorry, not worse, made their problems get better. Uh, And I, and I've written numerous blog posts in response saying, yeah, or you could just take off your damn shoes and go for a walk outside and then use your feet. And we have hundreds and hundreds of people who've done that and reported the same benefits as, you know, the magic vibrating insoles. I can tell you, I mean, you know, I have very flat feet. And they're very wide. And literally until about a month ago, I, did, I hated walking without shoes. I'd wear them constantly because it was awkward for me to walk. And I went on a trip to Europe with my family and it was going to be really hot. So I decided to get sandals. And I now own a pair of your zero shoes. You know. But before that, I had like these, you know, these Rockport sandals. And I did it to keep cooler. And I was worried. You know, I got my normal shoes with me. What if I, it hurts when I walk them? Right. So we did a ton of walking. And my feet adapted and they must have strengthened a lot over the few weeks we were gone and walking every day because now that's all I wear is these sandals. I feel so much better. Yeah. And I tried walking with no shoes and I can do it now and it doesn't feel like unwieldy and a big problem. Yeah. The first time in my life and I'm in my forties. 
So I'm experiencing this change like right now and it's great. Oh, I had, I had lifelong comedy level flat feet, like family joke level flat feet. And uh, when I started getting, when I got out of shoes, I developed some arches in my feet. The entire shape of my foot changed. It used to be that when I would get out of a, a pool or a hot tub, um, my footprint looked like a paddle. And now it looks like a footprint and the shape of my foot looks like a foot. Now I'm not making any promises about how people's uh, feet will change shape. In fact, arch height is primarily genetic, but the important thing is not arch height. The important thing is strength. And that's what you're describing is that when you use your feet, they can get stronger. There's again, research from Sarah Ridge at BYU that showed people who just walk in a truly minimalist shoe. And I'm going to highlight that point and come back to it. People who walk in a truly minimalist shoe, their feet strengthen as much over, I think it was eight weeks as they did uh, for people who were in a, a actual foot strengthening exercise program. And when I say truly minimalist shoe, there's only a couple of brands who are doing that. Um, Zero Shoes is one, a company out of the UK called Vivo Barefoot is another. Um, the five finger shoes, most but not all of them qualify as well. And this is a, a, a quali- or characterization that was developed by Dr. Irene Davis at Harvard. But most of the major companies that make a shoe that they call minimalist or barefoot from um, New Balance, from Nike, from Merrill, et cetera, uh, Irene refers to those as partial minimalist shoes. I've accused her of being politically correct and said, I think the real term should be fake minimalist. And the reason is simply that they, A, um, usually have too much padding. So again, you can't feel the ground as much. And B, the shape is usually not quite foot shaped enough, not enough to handle a wide toe box or wide foot like you have, or like I have. Uh, and, and Meryl used to actually call me on a regular basis and go, Hey, we have a new version of one of these shoes coming out. Would you like to try a pair? And I said, well, you know, I can't get them on my feet because they're too narrow across the instep. Right. They'd say, well, do you want a pair? I said, you know, I'm just going to sell it on eBay. If you send it right. Do you, well, do you want a pair? It's like, yeah, okay, sure. <laughs> so made a few bucks that year. That's funny. So what, what are the parts of a shoe that, you know, are trying to help us supposedly, but unintentionally hurt us. You know, all of go them. through different parts of the shoe. All of them. Well, here's how it all began. So, um, 50 years ish ago, some doctors who were in the same building that Nike was in, or as they were just getting started, recommended to Bill Bowerman that they make a higher heeled padded running shoe because they had, because Bowerman complained that some runners were coming to him and getting Achilles tendonitis. And so these doctors said, oh, well, clearly their Achilles have shortened from wearing higher heeled dress shoes. So make a higher heeled running shoe to accommodate that. And it'll, it'll take pressure off their Achilles. Let me cut to the end of the story where one of these doctors was at a track meet with a a friend of mine. And my friend said, uh, so what do you think about this phenomenon that this idea you came up with has become the ubiquitous design in footwear. And this doctor said, yeah, it was the biggest mistake we ever made. And so the, so if you think about it, elevating your heel does two things. First, it messes with your posture because it kind of tips you forward and then you have to lean back or arch your back to adjust for that. The second thing it does is that when you're running, if you're running in bare feet, your, pardon me, if you're running in bare feet, your heel will barely miss the ground as it comes in con- as your foot comes in contact with the ground. So you end up landing right. on your midfoot or your forefoot, but your heel just like is you know half an inch off the ground um, as it's passing over the ground. If you add a three quarter inch heel to your shoe, then suddenly you're going to end up hitting the heel before your foot would normally hit the ground. And it's also going to, your heel's going to end up also landing in front of your body instead of having your foot landing underneath your body. So that does a couple things. The first thing it does is when your foot lands in front of your body, when you're running, it's like putting on the brakes. 
you're you're decelerating and then you have to accelerate again by driving your leg in a somewhat unnatural movement pattern. The other thing it does when you land on your heel is it sends a shock of force straight up through your joints. It doesn't use the muscles, ligaments, and tendons as the springs and shock absorbers they're designed to be. The third thing that it does, your heel is a ball, so it's unstable. And so after they did this elevated heel, that's when they started having to make do motion control for shoes because they were making people unstable. And that's when the shoe companies started saying, oh, well, pronation, see, that's a problem. We need to correct that. Oh, I don't want to point out the obvious, but they created the problem. And pronation is not inherently a problem as part of the natural spring mechanism of your lower leg. So you land on your heel, you're putting on the brakes, you're putting more force through your body, you're becoming unstable. You're also, when you land that way, by the time your foot comes fully in contact with the ground, it's flat. And uh, that's not the strong position for your foot. Think about doing a bicep curl. Your, Your arm is the weakest when it's straight and it's the strongest when it's a little past 90 degrees, uh, 90 degree bend in the elbow. Similarly with your foot, when it's flat, it's weak. And when you're engaging the arch, it's actually strong. And when you land on your heel and your foot rolls into a flat position, you're trying to put, uh, you're trying to have your foot be strong when it's in a weak position, like doing a bicep curl with your arm straight. And so then they had to build in arch support so that you weren't going to try and use your arch when you couldn't really use it and put excessive strain in your arch, which can lead to things like plantar fasciitis. So that just one little thing of let's make a padded elevated heel leads to almost every problem that you can see uh, that people are having right now. And and some people say, well, but what if I land on my forefoot or my midfoot in a padded shoe? And the answer is that that still doesn't work because you're not then able to let your heel drop all the way and really use your Achilles tendon as the real spring that it's built. Um, and by shortening just that natural movement pattern, uh, that can actually lead to Achilles problems as well. So the the crazy thing, and I'll stop ranting in a second, is that footwear is primarily a, a, an industry driven by copying other people. Someone sells something uh, and it sells well, regardless of whether it's useful or not, then all the other shoe companies just try to jump on that bandwagon and either change everything they're doing to fit whatever they think the new trend is, or just to capitalize on the trend temporarily and then go back to whatever they were doing before that. And so, so the fact that almost every shoe that you can buy looks basically the same now after 50 years, uh, it's just because it was just a bunch of copycats. And then they told such a compelling, but inaccurate story to people for so long that everyone now believes that story to be true. And these companies can't change. Well, the transition, I I've faced it myself, transition from wearing a completely, you know, padded shoe or supported shoe to zero is rough. You know, is there any way that you see a need? You know, what if you make a shoe that has padding everywhere except with the drop heel? (laughs) Would that be a stepping stone back towards eventually no shoes at all? Like, not really. The the idea of of, um, uh, what you're referring to is is what people call a transition shoe. So if you've been in a shoe, I'm I'm exaggerating with a two inch heel, then maybe you switch to a one inch heel, then a half inch heel, then a quarter inch heel. Um, It doesn't work that way. So all you need to do is that's kind of like saying you're going to go to the gym and you want to get strong, but you're going to start by by bench pressing a half a pound, then a pound, then two pounds, then four pounds. No, you start with a weight that's the right weight for you. And you just do a little bit, you do one set of eight reps, for example, and then you just do that till you're comfortable. And then you do add two sets. And when you can do two sets of eight reps, then you bump it up to try and go to 10 reps. And when you can do that, you know, it's, uh, and then you add more weight, for example. So same idea with, with the transition, you basically want to go, if you can go barefoot, that's ideal. Otherwise something like zero shoes, which will be the next best thing. And you just, if you need to, you just do a little bit 
over time until you're starting to build up that strength. But the transition thing uh, doesn't work because you're still messing with the the entire biomechanical process. Well, again, what do you do though? It's, it is a stumbling block, and not everyone's willing to, you know, be patient well, and go slow. And they'll they may think, "God, oh, is not working that much." Well, I mean, this this is a really interesting point. Um, you're right, and I'm going to describe. I'm going to say this in an obnoxious way. Yeah, people suck, and so what I mean is, yeah, some people are going, "Well, I don't want to do that." It's like. Okay, so when you get older, do you want to fall down, break your hip, and die? And I'm not suggesting, obviously, that everyone will do that. But that's kind of like saying if you break your arm and once you get out of the cast and your arm is atrophied, it's like, well, I don't want to spend time having to do rehab to get my arm strong again. Sure, you can make that choice, but it's stupid. And so it's a similar thing. Sure, it could take you a little bit of time to get used to using your body naturally again. But then you have a body that can support you comfortably and healthily and enjoyably for the rest of your life. Why wouldn't you take the small amount of time that's required to make that happen? If you want to see people who walk, run, hike without problems, um, fundamentally into their seventies, eighties and beyond, just go to any place where they mostly don't wear shoes. And that's what you see. And there's no reason why you can't rebuild that strength, rebuild those, those, um, neural impulses and, and regain your balance to a certain extent, if not entirely. Uh, and, and why wouldn't you? And if you don't want to, if you're going to say you're, you know, just too lazy to do it, great. Keep buying crappy shoes. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to talk you out of it. It's just the logic for that. I find it utterly mind blowing when someone says, well, I don't, I don't I, look, here's a variation of that, that I find really incredible. I met a friend of mine uh, at dinner one day, or I bumped into a friend of mine at dinner. I said, how are you doing? Are you still running? She says, no, I'm going to get plantar fasciitis surgery next week. And I checked her out and I said, um, you, don't, you don't need plantar fasciitis surgery. She says, what? I said, can you just you know elevate on your toes, like to stand and just lift up onto your toes, raise your heels? She says, yeah, I can do that. I said, does that hurt? She says, no. I said, well, if you had real plantar fasciitis, that would be excruciating. I said, can you just bounce back and forth while staying on your toes from you know foot to foot? She goes, yeah, I can do that. I said, does that hurt? She goes, no. I said, well, um, if you had real plantar fasciitis, you wouldn't be able to do that either. I said, now, while you're just bouncing back and forth from foot to foot, lean forward a little bit and see what happens. And she basically starts running. And I said, does that hurt? And she goes, no. I said, you haven't been able to run for how long? She goes, like six months. I said, and I just showed you that you can run without pain in 60 seconds. So why are you getting the surgery? And she looked at me kind of like I was crazy. And I, you can't see me on a podcast, but um, I'm 5'5", five, five, uh, got you know shoulder length, dark curly hair. Uh, I said, just because I look like this doesn't mean I know less than your doctor. I was a pre-med. I spent a lot of time with medical people and, and working with researchers. But I assure you, your doctor doesn't know anything about natural movement. He's just a surgeon. That's his job is to diagnose things that are, that require surgery. And she went and had the surgery anyway, despite the fact that right. I showed her she didn't need it. And, and I find that um, both amazing, stunning, and sad. Yeah, it's true. So what's the, what's the minimalist, what's the minimal thing needed, you know, a shoe? I mean, it's, you don't want to step well, on a nail, obviously, you know, you don't want well, to uh, you know, rip the yeah. skin off the bottom of your foot. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so the easiest answer is uh, nothing. Um, you can go barefoot totally fine. This worry that people have that you just kind of expressed of, I'm going to step on a nail or I'm going to step in dog shit. It's like, well, <laughs> when's the last time you did either of those? You know, but literally, it's like, literally, when's the last time you did either of those? 
And most people say either never or it's been 20 years. It's like, well, then why are you going to start now? I mean, I'll tell you what actually happens when you start walking around barefoot, which is how I spend most of my time, frankly, is you pay attention to where you put your feet. I mean, you just- Barefoot, but not pregnant. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Not in the kitchen. Uh, You should wear a shirt that says that, barefoot, but not pregnant. Really? It's a great line. You probably get in trouble, though. Um, we definitely would. Uh, so, you know, if you're barefoot, you'll pay attention to where you put your feet. When you feel the ground, you start paying attention to where you put your feet. So the the barest thing you need, again, is based on what you're going to be walking on or in and what your current level of conditioning is, let's say, uh, is, you know, our, our thinnest sandal has four millimeters of rubber and some laces that you use to, to wrap it around your, your ankle and your foot. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, pretty much the same way that people have been doing for thousands and thousands of years. That's really all you need. We've had people hike the Appalachian Trail. We've had people climb mountains in just that simple, simple sandal. But if you're not ready for that, then we have one that's a little bit thicker. And then we have, actually, we have two that are a little little bit thicker, but still give you that natural movement and still let you get feedback from the ground. And what Mm. what you might discover over time um, is something similar to what happened for me, where when I first started doing this 12 years ago, um, certain kinds of surfaces like the gravel that was in around my driveway, I, I couldn't walk on. It was very painful. And within mm, a year or so, I could walk on that without a problem. And it wasn't because I had developed thick skin. Pardon me. I got the hiccups all of a sudden. I ha- hadn't developed thick skin. I hadn't gotten calluses. Um, I hadn't right. gotten I hadn't gotten numb to things. Quite the opposite. My feet became more flexible and more responsive. And I was just walking in a way where if I was putting weight on something and it was unpleasant, I would step off of it or jump off of it as necessary. And that doesn't mean you're never going to get injured. Um, that's, of course, not a, not a promise that anybody can make. But right. the number of the, the kinds of things that people are worried about happen so infrequently compared to the fact that 50% of all runners and 80% of all marathoners get injured every year with something that can put them out for weeks or months at a time. So, you know, which do you want? The occasional something that heals quickly or the pretty frequent something that can make you stop running or walking or hiking entirely because, you know, every time you do it, you get hurt. I mean, the problem is, though, look at us culturally. No shoes, no service. Like you walk well, into you know, shoes to places, they say, oh, it's unsanitary, and they'll yeah, kick you out. Yeah, you know what's funny? Um, well, there's a couple things. I've never been kicked out of anywhere. The only place I've ever even gotten hassled was, ironically, at Whole Foods, where I, uh, <laughs> they said, you know, you've you got to have shoes on. I said, how come? They said, well, for, for safety. I said, there's a dog walking around here in bare feet. Why, why doesn't the dog right. need to be kicked out? And Or my line is, you know, Whole Foods, where they get mad if you're in bare feet, but it's okay if you're breastfeeding your dog. So the the no shoes, no service, um, you can have a policy where that's just what your policy is. But it's really fun to ask people why they have that policy because they'll usually say, well, it's a health code violation. Uh, it's right. not true. There's no there's no city or state in the country, <clears throat> pardon me, that prevents you as a patron from being barefoot in any establishment. The establishment may decide that that's a policy, but there's no health code violation. There's no, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't know what's going on with my throat. <clears> throat> there's no, there's no okay. health code issue. Sorry, say again. You need water for a minute, by the way. No problem. Uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think it would help, but I don't have any near me. But thank you for your concern. Okay. Uh, suffice it to say, I've walked into a number of places where they say you have to wear shoes, and I say why, and they go, "Well, it's a health code violation." And I pull out a letter from the Secretary of State uh, for of the State of Colorado that says there's nothing in the books that says there's any health issue with walking in bare feet. And if people say oh, it's, you on actually the- have a letter. Yeah. Yeah, if you, there's a. You know what you should do? You know uh, what you should do is when you sell shoes, I don't know if you do it, but why don't you 
see if you can get a letter from each state and include that um, with the shoes. For the I think that, I, I think it's a group called the Society for Barefoot Living that has has most of them published. <clears throat> and I mean, the other thing, I would reprint it with permission. You know, that would be a cool. Yeah, thing no. To add it, well, it's it's obviously not something that's copywritten or anything. So it's an interesting idea. Of course, the joke is if they're buying my shoes, they're probably they're not necessarily walking around barefoot. But a lot of people who do get our our products do end up spending more time barefoot because once they get used to feeling things, it's kind of natural to to go out and do it. Because look, it feels good. Just remember being a kid and on a hot summer day, you go outside, you kick off your shoes and you feel the grass or the sand or the water or the dirt underneath your feet. I mean, it feels good for a reason. We evolved to respond to when things feel good because they're good for us. And, and that's what happens. But, um, uh, but I've shown that letter to people and they've, they've said, well, well, it's unsanitary. I go, well, I'm not eating with my feet. How is it any more unsanitary for you if I'm in here in my bare feet than with my shoes? Um, right. You know, it's just it, it, it's it's people um, to understand the one place. This is actually a really interesting one. I used to when I was going to airports after I would take off my shoes to go through security, I would just keep them off. And then I got to the point mm-hmm. where I never put them on and I just didn't have them on to begin with. And I was yeah. getting on um, a Southwest flight, I think. And the guy at the gate says, you have to put on shoes to get on the plane. I said, no, actually you don't. He goes, well, you do. It's a federal law. I said, no, it's actually not a federal law. He goes, well, it's my law. I said, yeah, that's not a thing. You can't, you can't do that. And he, he right. insisted. And so I had my sandals with me. I, I threw them on and I got down the, the jetway. And as I'm uh, as I'm going walking down the jetway, some other people went, take them off. And so I took off my sandals and then the guy, the gate guy had to walk down the jetway and he sees me and he got really mad. So I put him back on. And as soon as I got on the plane, I took him off. And, and, but it's interesting for airplanes, when you buy a ticket, you're actually buying a contract. And the contract is that the airline is agreeing to give you transportation and they can withdraw that contract for any reason. And some of the airlines explicitly say, including being in bare feet or having bare feet. Now, this was written into, into their contracts in the 60s. And if you ask any of the airlines why that was ever written in or why it still exists, you'll never find an answer. But my suspicion is that they wrote it in when there's just a bunch of hippies who were on airplanes. And that was an era when people got dressed up to get on airplanes. And they just never took it out. But there's no reason for I it. Think, it causes no problem. I think what, when, what we have with some important is like you know this, this stems from like my thoughts about it too like culturally i felt when i wouldn't another reason why i, I always wanted to wear shoes is like i felt lazy i felt unprotected i right. felt like people would look down on me if i wore no shoes like only bums would have no shoes or beach bums like and i think culturally that's held by a lot of people that view like if you have no shoes you're lazy and you're not working hard and you're just like i don't know you're just you're not a good person i Honestly, people feel like that a lot. Um, well, you know, it's funny if you're at if you're in Hawaii, that's not what people think. If you're at any beach town, that's not what people think. Um, so right. it really it, it really is location dependent. Um, so there is a cultural component that has some other gradations. And it's funny um, uh, when I go into Costco now, if I'm ever wearing my shoes, uh, which I'll do be- for either because I'm wearing them for well for any number of reasons, including just testing out a new pair or I just got off the track or whatever it is I'm doing. Um, I, I've been stopped a few times lately where people in the store say to me, "Is everything okay? You're you're wearing shoes." So, um, uh, so th- yeah. So there's definitely there's definitely a cultural something component to what people think it means when you're in bare feet. And I, you know, whatever. I mean, I'm not saying you have to wear, you have to walk around in bare feet. I'm saying it's a whole lot of fun and you can do it in more places than you think. And it's not illegal. And if you've never 
been in a grocery store on a hot summer day and stood in the produce section where the floor is nice and cold and when the mister goes off, it's like, you know, mm. it's the adult version of running through a sprinkler. It's the best. Yeah, interesting. So, I mean, through selling these shoes, what kinds of uh, anecdotes have you heard from customers that were surprising to you, either in a good or bad way? Uh, you know, nothing really surprising because – it, we, we know what letting your body do what's natural does. Uh, and so we have thousands of testimonials from people who are, first of all, they just say, oh my God, these are so comfortable because they're wide enough for your feet and they're flexible enough for your feet and they let you feel and they don't mess with your posture, all those things. Uh, and then it's just so many people saying I'm running, walking, hiking, dancing, or any number of things that better than I've ever done before. Of course, again, I'm not making any promises for anybody, but, um, but, but if you just look at the reviews on our site, you'll see all those. My favorite though, was uh, backing up to the, the magic vibrating insole thing was I got an email from a guy who was 82 years old, who said he was actually looking for the magic vibrating insoles, but instead found my blog post. And since he couldn't find the magic vibrating insoles, decided to put my theory that just going out and walking outside in bare feet would be helpful. He decided to put that to a test. And he said, that was two weeks ago. And I just threw away my walker. And nice. the, thing, the thing that keeps Lena, my wife and I doing this, because running a business is really hard, especially one growing as fast as ours, is that we do get emails from people every day who tell us how just these things have changed their lives and whether it's just because they finally have comfortable footwear or that it's, it's actually made a difference being able to use your body naturally. And that's, that's what keeps us going. Actually, we just got one today. It was like a very long email about a guy who had all these foot and ankle problems and um, nothing was working. And he stumbled on our stuff, pun intended. And now he's running, walking, hiking, which he hadn't been able to do in years. Mm. What about, um, I don't know, you keep doing this stuff at you, what about getting parasites through the skin of your foot or um, cutting well, your foot or that kind of stuff? Yeah, so two things. One, um, most people who are listening to this, I'm assuming, are in a developed country where the odds of that happening is really, 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 really tiny. And, um, you know, where the, the kind of environments where that happens, you, you pretty much know. I mean, if you're in a third world country where people poop in the streets, um, and I'm not suggesting that they shouldn't poop in the streets, but if you're somewhere like that, you know, dangerous. If you're around livestock and where there's livestock excrement, same thing. If, you, if, you're, if it's a bunch of standing water and it's the kind of thing that just doesn't look good, you know, what are you walking through that anyway? But again, that's why we make footwear is there are times – where being barefoot is not ideal. And, uh, and even look, I'm a competitive sprinter. When I'm at full speed, I need to be in a pair of shoes because I, otherwise at 23 miles an hour, I'd rip the crap out of my feet on a Mondo track surface. Uh, if you are hiking certain kinds of terrain, we have a, a, a trail running and hiking shoe that's awesome for that because it just gives you better traction than you would have if you were in bare feet. So there are certain circumstances where the appropriate footwear is great, but even with that footwear, you still want to have a natural shape so it doesn't squeeze your toes together and elevate your heel, a flexible sole so your foot can bend naturally, and as much ground feedback as you can get away with in that situation. Okay. Um, so what if someone has, a, I don't know, let's say like neuropathy or if they're older? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any recommendations so, for them versus a younger person? 
Yeah, um, these are great questions. So for something like diabetic neuropathy, one of the challenges, of course, is that you can't feel things very well. Uh, the solution that's typically offered is just bundle up your feet so you're, you don't have to ever feel anything and you're totally safe. The problem, of course, again, is it's use it or lose it, and you're now in a situation where you can't use it, and that just makes things worse uh, or can make things worse. There, there's, a, there's a number of studies that are suggesting that again, natural movement is a better option whenever you can do that because when you move your feet, you're increasing circulation. There's there's a product that we sell on our website called the Naboso Insole uh, developed by a... Mm, I've tried, uh, tried Yeah, it's a surgical podiatrist um, named Emily Splickle who developed this thing. And basically it's just a, um, it's just got a bunch of little bumps on it is the best way of putting it. And and they add extra stimulation to to your foot. Um, compared to especially just being in shoes. And there's some research that I saw out of the U, uh, no, sorry, out of Australia that people with diabetic neuropathy were helped by something similar to that. So again, when in doubt, start with what's natural and try to make the interventions as small as humanly possible or as small as practically possible. And so for elderly people, there's a, a friend of mine who's developed an app to help elderly people regain their balance. And we're going to become, it seems, the official footwear for that app because, again, when you can feel things and use your feet naturally, then that's what allows you to have better balance or, or what can allow that. If you, I'm trying to think of how to describe this. Think about um, if I asked you to drop and do 20 push ups, would you rather do that on the floor or on a memory foam mattress? I mean, yeah, the floor would be easier because the memory yeah. foam would sink in and be really tough. Right. So same thing happens when you have shoes with all this extra padding is it actually makes you unstable in a way that's not beneficial because you're not really adapting properly. You're having to adjust rather than uh, – frankly, what it takes to balance is tiny, tiny, tiny little micro movements. And when you have too much padding, you're making bigger movements to make those same – try to make those same adjustments, but they're not as fast. They're not as reflexive. And so uh, it's harder to actually balance on something that's unstable. And all foam is, not only is it unstable, but the moment you start using it, it starts breaking down. And so if mm. your posture isn't good to begin with, which it won't be if you're elevating your heel, it's going to get worse as the foam breaks down in uneven patterns. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, any advice for people that, you know, again, they're gun shy and they want to take, you know, I guess, literally dip their toe in, to, uh, <laughs> if you could do such a thing to no shoes, like what, what would you recommend? Well, that's the entire reason that we have a business is, is if you want to go barefoot, go barefoot, just again, start small. And if you want to have a little bit of protection while you're experimenting with that, then pick up any of our products. And we've got on a, we have a page that helps you select which product is right for you with kind of a barefoot in a barefoot index. And you can pick something that's either more barefoot or less barefoot. doesn't really matter. It's totally up to you. Just knowing if you pick one that's a little less barefoot, after you get used to that, you might want to try something a little more barefoot. But um, even even our quote less barefoot stuff is closer to barefoot than pretty much any any uh, product from any major company. What about the material itself? I mean, you know, I've, I've learned a little bit about earthing, and you know, traditional yeah. shoes seem to uh, I don't know electrically isolate you from the earth. Do you, any, any currency there, or, or do you not agree? Uh, in in short. Um, well, for people who believe in that, I'm about to get them upset and it's not my intention, but there's no there there for it. it let's, let's just do a simple, here's a, how do I want to put this? If we want to examine a belief, what we need to do is what the, the first thing one should do is look for counterfactuals, look for something that's the opposite and see 
what that looks like. So for example, the idea that footwear has insulated us from the ground and that's caused all manner of problems. Well, just go and take a look at places where they don't wear footwear and see if those people are devoid of those problems. And you will find that that is not the case. What they're devoid of is the problems that people who wear footwear have, like plantar fasciitis and Achilles tendonitis and um, hammer toes and, and, and bunions and things like that. But uh, everything else, you know, there's, there's not a there there for it. Or another thing I can say, this whole idea about being uh, electrically connected to the ground um, your skin is actually an incredible insulator. Actually, I'll say two things. Leather shoes do not connect you to the ground. They'd have to be soaking wet. And then it's the water that's actually providing the electrical conductivity, not the leather. Leather, people don't remember because most people don't know, was used um, as an insulator for early electronics. And so uh, leather doesn't help. The idea that you need to be electrically connected to the ground or all hell's going to break loose is, is also problematic. But again, your skin is an insulator. Your skin can develop a positive or negative charge. Uh, and that's on purpose because otherwise that charge would be going through your body. So think of it this way. 95, over 99% of all people who get struck by lightning have no problem because what happens is the charge goes around their body and then grounds into the earth. 100% uh, of all trees that get struck by lightning explode. Mm. Okay. Just something to ponder. Well, well, but again, in looking at the material that the shoe is made, so forget about earthing. Sure. Um, rubber versus leather versus, you know, have you looked at all the interaction of the foot oh, yeah. and the sweat from the foot? Oh, yeah, of course. All that and the material you walk on. How about Absolutely. there? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it has nothing to do with the mater the specific material per se. In other words, leather is not better than rubber. Rubber is not better, better than leather. Um, the, what you need, again, for natural movement is something that's going to be flexible. And you can get that with almost any kind of material. What you also want to do is be attentive to what kind of performance characteristics you need. So leather uh, is not a great product for a performance shoe, like a running shoe, because it just abrades too quickly. It'll just wear out really fast. Um, rubber is just better for that and certain kinds of rubber. So most running shoes, they say you need to replace them every three to 500 miles. And they say that because the rubber is designed to wear out at about the same time that the midsole foam wears out. <laughs> they do this on purpose. Uh, our shoes don't have a midsole. And so we developed a different rubber compound. And when we approached a rubber manufacturer and said, you know, here's the characteristics that we would like to have for our rubber, uh, they said, but that's not how they make running shoes. And we said, yeah, no joke. That's why we want to do it this way, because we want something that lasts. And so our mm -hmm. running shoes or all of our shoes uh, have uh, the soles have a 5000 mile warranty because they're designed to last well and which is a whole whole different different story than traditional running shoes. You know, it'd be funny if you deliberately made. Um, a shoe that's designed to fall to pieces after a certain amount of time because you want them to be barefoot anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I literally wear these till they fall off and then keep going. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate the uh, the 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 what's the word ulterior motive in your idea that that supports our our concept. Um, I don't think human beings would uh, would go for it quite so much. Although, if we actually sold it at sold it with that that whole that was the whole idea. It's like here's a shoe that will fall apart, and by when it by the time it does, you're going to be ready to go barefoot. Um, there's there maybe there's a there there. That's pretty funny. But we'd have to let them know. Yeah, <laughs> interesting. Um, I, I this is probably not your area, but um, you know, I do a lot of interviews about the microbiome. So sure. I'm thinking about a foot being away from oxygen in a sock, in a shoe, yeah. you know, yeah. x number of hours a day, or maybe in socks all day, and then being free to the air. I'm sure the microbiome of the foot dramatically changes. 
Dramatically. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Well, look, let's do it this way. When you're when you're bound up in a shoe all day, um, that's when people complain that their feet smell. When you're barefoot most of mm-hmm. the time, that just doesn't happen very much, if at all. Even in some of our sandals, uh, it's pretty unlikely that you get a bunch of foot stink because your foot is open to the air and not not and and gets air circulating around it instead of being being cooped up in a hot, warm, moist environment. How about people that have uh, you know? twisted tilted toes or hammer toes like do they notice that the, their uh, toes move over a period of months of you know wearing your shoes or going barefoot um once again i can't make a, a, a generalization or a promise i am neither a doctor nor do i play one on the internet tv or podcasts um right. all i can say is that there are uh, podiatrists who are whose part of their business is helping people change their foot shape into something more natural after it's all been cramped up and uh, they they can use toe spreaders and various other things they also recommend our products i guess a better way to to think of it actually is this often what will cause those problems is being in shoes that put force your foot into an unnatural position so if you allow your foot to move into a more natural position and give it the mm, impetus the stress the the support the stretching the whatever else it would need um there are some things that are uh, that are undeniably reversible and other things that may not be depending on the severity of the deformity okay i mean again it's just pure anecdotal but uh have you heard from customers saying my toes move look at them Uh, pictures like before and after their feet or is that um, too weird uh, i will say yes we have gotten those emails okay so people send you like pictures of their feet sometimes. Um, you know the biggest the biggest regret that I have about this business is that I, I didn't take before and after pictures of my feet because it didn't occur to me that we were mm. going to be in the shoe business. But the the oh. change is dramatic, uh, and I don't know if we've gotten before and afters because again, most people wouldn't think to take the before. So that's true. Yeah, we, yeah, we may have, but it's not ringing a bell. Okay, okay. So what's ahead? Uh, you said you're you're growing pretty rapidly. Congrats, that's great. What um what would you like to have happen in the next year or two, three, four, five years? Uh, we would like to have all footwear companies that make things that aren't good for your feet go out of business, and we are left standing. Um, and I'm only being partially glib when I say that. We are. I'm trying to make natural movement the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food currently is. Sometimes I like to joke and say I want to become the gluten-free of footwear, and and. I also like to say we're creating a movement movement. So this whole natural movement thing is the real deal. Uh, There are CEOs of major footwear companies who have said to friends of ours that they know that what we're doing is legit and they can't do it because it would be admitting that everything else they've been doing for 40 plus years is complete crap. Uh, So I'd be okay if those companies made a change and everyone started wearing shoes that are actually good for your feet. That's really what I want to happen. If we are the the prime beneficiaries of that or not i don't really care about that as much um but but we're i know it sounds hyperbolic and to say it but we're trying to change the world and ironically we're just trying to change the world back <laughs> to the way it was before yeah. big companies yeah. started making shoes that were bad for your feet so the problem is that there's just not a lot of people old enough to remember the way it was or i um at a uh, the American College of Sports Medicine's national conference a year ago, there was a panel discussion about footwear. I was on it. Some guys from Brooks, a guy from Brooks, a guy from Adidas was also on it. And Irene Davis asked a question. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. She said, look, in the 60s, we were running in super thin-soled running shoes. We were playing basketball in Chuck Taylors. 
which are also <clears throat> thin-soled shoes without any support. We weren't getting the kind of injuries, the severity of injuries, or even the number of injuries that we're getting now. So what problem were you trying to solve and why didn't it work? And they had no answer. And I finally chimed in and said, look, let's just you know call a spade a spade. If you look at the design of the modern athletic shoe, and then you look at how feet are made and how feet function, and you look at the research about natural movement, it's impossible to conclude anything other than the design of the modern athletic shoe is simply wrong. And there's a long pause and the guy from Adidas goes, yeah, but not everyone's going to switch to your shoes right away. <laughs> wow, that's the best you've got. Um, I mean, you're right. People won't. But uh, over time, the idea is that people will have the experience of what natural movement can do for them. And, uh, you know, we're, we really are trying to be part of changing the world. Yeah, one, uh, I should have asked you this earlier, but one, one quick question. What about, um, you know, obviously people sitting, that's a whole problem in itself. What about people that have to stand for long periods of time? Do you ever have <laughs> customers like that? Yeah. And what's their feedback? Just out of yeah. curiosity. Yeah, I I, uh, I totally love that you're asking all these. Um, their feedback is that um, they're able to do that for the first time pain-free. Really? Wow. Well, again, your feet are designed to bend and move and flex and feel. If you don't let them do that, that function tries unsuccessfully to move up to your ankle, your knee, your hips, your back. And if you let your feet do their job, then it can take the stress off those other joints. And again, your posture is not misaligned because you don't have an elevated heel, et cetera. So uh, we know of a community that they work in a factory. They're on concrete floors all day long for eight to 12 hour days. And almost, I think the entire community wears minimalist footwear because they found that it allowed them to be healthy. And they have a doctor in that community who said to me, um, he said, I can't tell people that the number of injuries, lower leg, lower extremity injuries that I treat has gone from 40% of the community to zero because nobody believes me, but that's what's happened. Are there any uh, sandals you've seen that aren't good? Uh, Even though they're sandals, like, you know, like, uh, oh, yeah, yeah. just go between the big toe or all, all, like, all what's of, right and wrong about those? Yeah, yeah. all of them. So uh, what's wrong with most, I'll start with flip-flops and then we'll do sport sandals. So flip-flops, the problem is that the thong between your toe requires you to keep those on your foot. It requires you to, A, kind of jam your foot forward into the thong, which can be uncomfortable. And B, it makes you have to, to keep that thing on your foot, you end up flexing your toes, like, you know, um, curling them down at a time in your gait cycle where they actually should be doing the exact opposite. So you're moving your foot in an unnatural position, which can cause problems for people. The second thing is they're almost always made of foam. And again, the foam breaks down unevenly and, and um, in not, I was going to say inappropriately, that's not quite right. But when the foam breaks down, that causes problems that can lead to some real structural problems. Um, just sit around any place where people are walking by in sandals and just look and see how many people are falling off one edge or the other, or it looks like their foot is at some weird angle. Uh, we did this a couple of years ago and it was about 90%. So, so that's the, the, the two big problems with flip-flops. The, the problem with most sports sandals like Chaco Tevakin, for example, is that they hold on your foot with the um, different webbing systems, similar to the one that we use on our sport sandals, but they tend to be big, thick, stiff bricks with a ton of arch support and a bunch of heel lift. So again, it's not letting your foot do what's natural and they weigh a ton. Uh, that's That can be problematic. Backing up to the, the flip-flop, our uh, thong sandals have a lacing system that goes all the way around your ankle and so and holds across the top of your foot and around your ankle with a design that I patented but is based on a 10,000-year-old idea. Uh, I, I came up with a 
strange variation that no one had ever thought of apparently. And um, the difference with those compared to a flip-flop is that you don't need to jam your toe into the thong. And because the lacing goes all the way around your foot, it lets your foot continue to move naturally. It's really just like walking barefoot, but someone's throwing a thin piece of rubber under the ground, on the ground, underneath your foot as you make every step. Um, you, people, again, people run ultra marathons in those sandals. You, you couldn't do that in a way that makes sense in a regular flip-flop. Have you um have you studied any ancient uh, footwear you know from oh yeah tons. thousand plus years ago and like what have oh, you yeah. learned from looking at that yeah it looks a lot like ours um if you look at the the ten thousand year old sagebrush sandals that they pulled out of an archaeological dig in Oregon they look a lot like um our thong style sandals if you look at the sandals that the Romans wore they look a lot like our sport sandals. Um, um, it, there's some design elements in our shoes that I carried over from our sandals that again, you, you find there's a, uh, there are a couple of footwear museums, one in, I think Toronto and one in Italy. And uh, people keep sending us photos like, Hey, these look just like yours. And uh, it, it is true. Well, you know, what might be cool is if you, um, you know, like in the sandals, um, parts of the shoe that you can put pictures on or design, if you call one, you know, the Roman sandal and it looks exactly like a Roman sandal and another one's like another culture and you could have, again, the same shoe, but different cultures, yeah. you know, uh, it would look like those culture shoes, which would be pretty cool. Uh, we absolutely could. The the kind of funny thing that I'll, I'll say is that we've actually improved on those designs uh, just because this is backing up to your, your science versus nature. So those um, old sandals were made with, with natural materials, um, bark, um, hemp, various things that are, that uh, rubber is way better, frankly, last longer, can be made thinner, can provide more protection with less material, et cetera, uh, more flexible also. So that's one of the places where technology and science has actually improved over history. Yeah. Well, I'm wearing a pair of your zero shoes and like the, the straps are on these are like blue and brown and all that, but you know, it'd be cool to have little symbols of what, let's say a Roman shoe would look like as a design True. or some other kind of shoes. true so it's just you know an idea for you for fashion oh no i like fashion it. The, the, minimal footwear yeah the, the the challenge that you just described is that we are not a big company and so there's lots of things that we would love to do that we just don't have the resources yet to be able to, to make happen um that's one of the one of the the challenges with being a bootstrap company where where we need to make decisions about what we know is going to sell. We also have minimums. So when we're making a new product, we'll have to make, for example, 4,000 pairs of something. So if we're not confident we, we can sell 4,000 pairs of that thing compared to the however many thousands of pairs uh, of, say, the black version or the brown version or the blue version, um, then we can't necessarily do all the cool things that are on our to-do list. I got you. Well, cool. Um, just for listeners, I don't know, you know, just to disclose, you guys sent me a, a pair to evaluate. I love them. And again, it's changed uh, a lot of things for me. So I really awesome. appreciate that. And, oh, uh, no, look, it's our pleasure, of course. Yeah. And so what's the best way for people to read your blog, buy the shoes, find out more, et cetera? What are some resources for them? Um, simple. Just go to zeroshoes.com, X-E-R-O shoes.com, or find us on social media pretty much at, at zero shoes or slash zero shoes uh, anywhere you would go. All right. Well, great. Well, it's been good talking to you. I, I really Absolute appreciate pleasure. being here and uh, thanks for all the good work you're doing. Oh, no, I really appreciate it. You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious that we all have medical issues, but we at least have a family member or close relation that had, has, or will have them in the future. 
Medicine and biological systems are the final frontier. Until we've conquered death, figured out how life began, cured cancer, and understood our purpose in the universe, there's a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes to our health. Future Tech Health means I'll be covering futuristic topics that are actually already in clinical trials, or even starting to appear on shelves or by prescription, or available for your own use. We dive deep into stem cells, CRISPR-Cas9, the science of sleep, epigenetics, medical testing, cancer, ketogenic diets, stem cells, aging, regenerative medicine, and more. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a serious medical problem. Remember, however, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoy the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and share it with friends. Thank you. Thank you.